0: Hey, Caitlin. We're here for another episode.
1: Yeah, we made it. We're, we're still doing our tennis podcast. Welcome to the main draw. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so this week uh, we have an interview with Ashley Vance, who is a writer at Bloomberg Businessweek and wrote a great piece about Larry Ellison.
1: Larry Ellison, you might know, uh, is the seventh wealthiest man in the world. And right now he is pointing his money at tennis. And he's trying to make the fifth major. So if the Grand Slams are four majors, he's trying to make the fifth major out of this tournament in Indian Wells, California, which is in Palm Springs. He's also got a plan to pretty much remake tennis overall, making more tournaments, reimagining college tennis. He wants to be the savior of American tennis.
0: And uh, he has enough money to do just that. And, uh, And Ashley's piece was great. And, you know, we just had some questions about, you know, even if you have all the money in the world, is he using it? The right way and is it even possible to buy the next great era of American tennis
1: so the audio sounds a little differently because we talked to him the other night um but here's ashley vance talking about the 47 billion dollar man in question larry ellison
2: you know he's he bought this tournament in indian wells basically palm springs california um i think it was about 2009 and he's been pumping a bunch of money into it ever since and then he's using that basically as his starting off point to really get into tennis. And he's proposing funding a whole new American tour that would would have basically a bunch of satellite tournaments and then a big tournament in L.A. leading up to the Palm Springs event. And then he's talking about building a junior academy, and he also almost tried to buy the tennis channel.
1: Only those five things. (laughs) Only the entire tennis infrastructure of America. (laughs) I've actually played. I've, you, you've been there, I'm assuming. Did you get to hit on the courts at all?
2: Well, God, this is going to sound terrible. I hit on the courts at Larry's house, but no. not, not at Palm You Springs. asshole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. Just, you know, you know, you don't want to mingle with the plebeians out in the. That's amazing. Are nice. they nice? I mean, I imagine his courts are amazingly nice. They They're sounded nice. nice. Yeah.
2: They're very nice. I mean, I don't know if you want me to describe it on the. <laughs>
1: Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Are they like one surface each? Is, are they a three hard courts? Like what, how do, how do you do it if you're worth $47 billion?
2: First of all, he's got like a 150 acre estate. And I mean, this thing used to be, I think it used to be like a, a club that people would come to. It's got an 18 hole golf course, all this other stuff. And if sure. you're Larry, you know, if you're Larry Ellison, you just buy, you just buy this as like your house. And, um, so he's got this tennis cabana in the middle, which is way nicer than my house and bigger than my house. And uh, and it's got the butlers there with the champagne and the espresso, whatever you may need. And it's got, like, Djokovic's racket up on the wall and Nadal's racket up on the wall and, and all this other stuff. And then he's got sort of coming s- surrounding that. I mean, it's amazing. um, are two hard courts and a clay court. So he's got three courts mm. at his house. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and the the courts are like nestled into this green, this kind of <laughs> grassy enclave with terraced, like a terraced sort of grass, so that you can sit there, you know, and finish. watch.
1: Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's there. It is. That's the way to do it.
2: I mean, there was not one player that I interviewed out of about I don't know twenty or twenty five that that had anything negative to say about it and then you know in my story i mean part of the story is that he's trying to keep it open almost year round instead of sort of just being focused around the time of the tournament and so um you know people would have more access to the courts and then he wants to build all this shopping and restaurants and everything that are cuz you know like today he's got like a pop up nobu that's only <laughs> open for 2 weeks that's amazing so end.
0: so it's like one of the world's best restaurants and it's open for 2 weeks
2: i mean i interviewed some of the guys that work there and they were just telling me that at the various nobu's around the world or the u.s you know they have people fly in for these two weeks to work there and then and then you do i mean you do pay like a pretty penny but it's amazing because you can eat at the nobu which is essentially looking over court two and just like watch the match while you have sushi all right
0: that is awesome
1: (laughs) -hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. If I mean, it's like if it wasn't so great, it would be so despicable. But everything about this is like, you're like, yeah, okay, champagne butler, yeah, all right, Nobu, fine. You know, like it's actually, it makes it hard to hate him. Um, You know, and and I think one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is like, you know, Chris and I have been tennis fans and tennis players for a long time, but the what what's interesting about Larry Ellison and his plans is not just what he's doing with this tournament, but how he wants, as you said, to launch it into something bigger. And having, you know, been around for the heyday of American tennis back like 80s, 90s, it seems like he knows that the magic went away and it makes me wonder if you can just build it with infrastructure first. Like, do you think ultimately his plan is going to result in some like great players of of the future who are going to make America fall in love with tennis again?
2: Yeah, I was kind of torn on that. I mean, the you know, there's a whole camp of people that just say, "Well, this is all just cyclical anyway, right?" <laughs> and that eventually right. we'll have a bunch of very good American men back on the tour and and then um and then there's this there's another camp that says, "Yeah, look, let's build up this kind of interest." It I find it frustrating because everyone always says, "Well, our best athletes don't play tennis." And, you know, if we could sort of fix that, then somehow we'd end up with a ton of great tennis players. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm 37, so I grew up, like, in the whole heyday of yeah. Sampras and Agassi and all that. And, I mean, I don't remember, like, our best athletes playing tennis. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, not at all. I, <laughs> Whoa, you're on
1: thin ice, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good athletes, for sure. But, yeah. I mean, it still, <laughs>
2: felt, it still felt like baseball and football, yeah. you know, were the dominant right. sports. Tom so Martin I sort of... was
0: not a big athlete. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. You know, so I just I just don't buy this argument that, like, that's the sort of problem that we're trying to solve. Um, I do think, I mean, like, you definitely feel that when there's not a good American guy in the game, America seems sort of like a little bit disinterested in tennis. So I, I don't know. Like, all this, these infrastructure bits, a lot of the people I'm talking to, um, like, after the story came out, I heard from other people, I mean, they want to start... American only events where like sort of a minor league where only Americans could huh. play and they want to do it like city by city make it sort of like a baseball thing where it's very regional and and to sort of drum up interest.
1: Huh. So the idea being that if you know the guy from Raleigh Durham makes it into the you know qualifying or main draw of the US Open then he's captured the interest and in theoretically like you know television ratings of an entire region yeah well yeah
2: idea i mean i think a little bit of that and then also just to keep interest in tennis um high like all year and all the time so that you would have you would have like a person or a couple people that you know about and follow like in your city that go city to city the the ellison thing i mean I think he makes, like, a decent enough point that we should have some good academies on the the West Coast. So it sounded like Tommy Haas and Larry Ellison might be sort of going into business on something like that. Um, You know, and then this whole idea of, like, the college system becoming, like, a minor leagues for tennis. I mean, I guess Yeah. Yeah.
1: The point in this piece that you make here is that, like, because pros hit their prime later, you can actually spend four years of college getting better. And it can actually, like it does in other sports, function as a really good, um, you know, training ground. That, to me, sounded legitimately smart and actually possibly successful. You know, we forget, but, like, John McEnroe went to Stanford and has a degree, you know. yeah
2: I mean like it made that does make sense to me and then you see you know Baylor's had like a pretty good run I mean they they have three or four guys on the tour and and there's a few guys from big 12 schools that have mm-hmm. uh, pulled this off and so um you know I think if you're like 17 or 18 and you're still kind of a phenom like Nick Kyrgios or um even Francis Tiafo, you know it's it's like uh, you're gonna go to the pro tour but you know there's so many people now that that seem like they get good at, like, 23. So Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Right? yeah, so why grind it out and suffer living out of your suitcase when you can have everything paid for you and have a top coach and all these great opponents? I mean, I think the level of the college game had to sort of get up higher where it would make it worthwhile, and it seems like it's kind of on its way there.
0: Definitely. I mean, I think that would be a way to have, like, more male American players in the top 50 It seems like unlikely that colleges are going to produce like a top five player, but it would be a huge thing if the draw had more American guys that could poke through and like make the quarters or the semis every once in a while in in a big tournament.
2: Yeah, and then then like I think something I didn't get until sort of like later on in the piece, and it's totally, maybe it's not true at all, but you know, like when I was growing up, I felt like, Bala and and sort of you know the U.S. is where you came to train to uh, to make it on the pro tour even if you were a phenom and that's obviously shifted to sort of France and Spain you know if the, if the college system was a minor leagues with really 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 strong player I mean at least you sort of like even if they're not all Americans you pull sort of the gravity of tennis back to the U.S. and that seems like it has to end up producing good things
0: it's funny how we get really worked up about sort of basketball and football in college becoming like a minor league for, for pro sports. But for tennis, it's like, even to
2: me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> we need like a March madness of tennis. Can you imagine what that would do? Exactly.
1: <laughs> well, did you guys hear that they, Um, and I think this, it's not, is it, it might actually be Baylor. Did you hear that? Like they changed the rules collegiately in some of the um, conferences so that p- people could, cheer and get really rowdy in the middle of points.
2: I, I saw a wall street journal story on that. So, so like Mark heard the guy from my story. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's buddies with Ellison at uh, Oracle. Yeah. He played um, number one singles uh, on a full ride at Baylor. And so, I mean, I mean, credit to him. I think he's helped like push some of these things through, but the, yeah, that's exciting. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine, you know, like you'd have to reorient yourself as a player to like get it used to that maybe, but maybe it would be really exciting. I mean, nobody came to our matches ever until we would go down and play at the University of Texas and then they had, you know, fans with face paint. And you were like, holy shit, not only are we gonna get our asses kicked, like they actually have fans. We're gonna have witnesses. You know what I mean? Like the Missouri women's tennis team, you know, was gonna leave a shame no matter what. But uh, but no, it was really exciting. It made me think like, oh this could be actually like really fun. Um and that when I read that I realized oh Ellison has like actually thought about this it's not just about building pretty you know water right. features the, to, like, to stadium
0: like he's not howard hughes like this isn't like a totally crazy <laughs> wooden plane dream although although i was thinking like let's imagine a world in which he's like birdie Madoff, or he becomes crazy like yeah. would a whole tournament fall apart like if he was wrapped up in a scandal and he lost all of his money like would indian wells be k- kind of done for a while or in desperate straits
2: it would probably be in desperate straits, but the amount of money he would have to lose is, <laughs> right. is like, right. like, yeah. I think the world would be sort of <laughs> <laughs> right. imploding somehow. He's like too big to uh, fail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's, I think he's like number seven, right. in the world's richest people. So yeah, it would be um, that would be tricky. Maybe someone would step in because he's kind of made it seem like a good thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah.
1: Where do you think it all went wrong? And I, assuming that we don't agree that it's, like, the male <laughs> star thing. Because it is frustrating as a woman being like, oh, we're, like, watching tennis in the time of, like, the most dominant tennis yeah. player, male, male or women. And then it's like, oh, but there's no dudes, you know, so nobody can, like, deign to watch women's yeah. tennis. Which is frustrating. But, like, assuming we put all that stuff aside, what do you think went wrong with America's love affair with tennis? Because before you answer that, we're going to try to... Th- Pair this or at least at some point on the podcast in the future talk about how there's like there was this boom of building suburban tennis courts and they're not used as obviously as much as they were projected to be and so some cities are like well these cost too much to maintain and we should get rid of them and so it kind of makes you re- remember that like oh this was a, like a national th- movement right what happened
2: yeah, I mean, well, I ask myself this, like, all the time, you know? I mean, I – it is – it's it's so – I find it so hard to explain. I mean, the only thing that I come back to is the personality thing. I mean, if you look at – that sort of Borg, McEnroe, that era—you've got all these big personalities with with Pete and Andre. I mean, Andre sort of carried the the day, right, as as somebody to like really latch on to, right, for the public. I mean, Federer and Nadal. There's I mean, like obviously we all like tennis, so we totally appreciate the contrast in styles and and like <laughs> the amazing play. I think for just the casual fan though, there's just not a personality to kind of latch yeah. onto and, and they're just all so nice to each other, you know? And, um,
1: yeah, I always wish like Djokovic would keep doing that shirt opening thing where he would like <laughs> pop open could, his shirt and like the wooden cross would come out and he would like swear. And,
0: but like, but like after each set, like every time you want to set, <laughs> he just ripped that shirt.
2: Here's, here's my question for you guys. I mean, so then why, like, why is it that we have so many good women, players and female american players and and we don't have many good american males i mean if see this is why i think there is no real explanation for this i mean they go to the same training camp right i mean isn't sort of the infrastructure the same
1: i actually think it might be the case that we might get the best athletes because if you think about the professional um, prospects for female athletes in the States, who, who who makes a living playing professional sports? You know, like most of the women who like were who play on the women's national, you know, soccer team don't make very much money, like without endorsements, they can barely scrape by. And like, you know, you, you see in all of the I, I think it has to do with you can make a decent living if you are really, really successful, unlike... Yeah all the other collegiate sports you know
0: well i mean i do think it's just part of it's just like an element of chance right i mean it does seem like maybe Balateri was a place that a lot of the best players came out of and the rest of the world has caught up to that maybe where like um now if it's all equal then it just comes down to some sort of genetic freak who also has the mental makeup to be like nadal who just like never gives in um and I feel like when you get into like that mental part of it, it's like you can't it's hard to really train that. It just sort of pops up every once in a while. someone who's made for tennis
1: i maybe what do you think about this, Ashley? Do you think that I think the way that Europeans, especially men, play tennis is better? I think it's objectively better, and I think that there's something going on maybe with the way that they structure juniors that, like, allows for their games to develop longer. So, like, because I remember, and I went to voluntary for a summer, and it was terrible. I mean, I wasn't also great. I was good only. But, like, everybody was playing a cookie-cutter game. You know, like, that was when everyone was taught the same sort of Western forehand and the same, you know, like, nobody came into the net there wasn't a serve and volley aspect to anyone's game. Slice was something some people had maybe, but you didn't need it. Whereas you saw these European players, maybe it was because they were playing on clay or maybe because the tournaments didn't pressure them to, to win early in their careers. But I feel like that really paid off in the sense that like you have all these European players who are so multifaceted and then on the men's side, especially like John Isner, you know, had to teach himself how to like volley essentially after going to UGA. Do you think there's anything to that?
2: I mean, it seems like it's me. I mean, I just remember the story of Balteris seemed to be, you know, he had just discovered how to hit forehands harder (laughs) and better than like anybody else. And there was this whole generation of like 10 players that just went around crushing forehands for winners.
0: Can we can we back up a minute and uh, and return to the fact that Caitlin went to Boliterry for a summer? Uh, oh, have
2: you
1: never? I think never I was exactly
0: that? as shocked as Ashley at that fact. So, oh, really? So so wait. So did he wear the weird glasses, like the futuristic <laughs> yeah. glasses? Yeah, he did. He
1: was wearing the wraparound Oakleys awesome. even back then. Awesome. He he looked like he was about 175 years old.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like like it was basically like like if you leave a leather jacket in the sun for 30 years (laughs) yeah that's that's what happens
1: yeah his his, he's like you know how sometimes when you see old men they have like those legs that don't look like they connect to the rest of his body because they're just like tiny toothpicks yeah they're tiny beef jerky toothpicks but (laughs) but
0: but like did you was there something about him or the environment down there where you were like yes i'm getting better or oh my god the pressure is crippling or both.
1: Yeah, both kind of. It was um I mean, you know, I was just there for a summer. I didn't live there or go to school there. Although I went to a, a co- I went to college with a girl who did, and she failed out in 3 months because she had never learned to go to school. So like right. I think if you if you're going to try to get an like an education there, you're 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 in for a tough uh, a, a tough situation, but um no, I he didn't seem that impressive to be honest, even though he was giving private lessons every day, every hour of the day, but all the pros there were amazing. And all the juniors there were amazing. And so even by virtue of like getting to hit with them, you know, you, you could see after a day or two, you were improving. But interestingly, and this is not something that I've ever heard people talk about. And even Andre Agassi in the book, when he talked about Boletaris didn't go into this. There's this whole cadre of like international kids, or at least there was when I was there, who were essentially like rich kids whose parents like hated them or didn't. Want to be around them, <laughs> and they were just there, not really playing tennis, just like doing drugs.
2: Wow, wow. it was
1: so weird, and you're in the middle of this did,
2: did the did the foreign kids doing drugs did they have to come out to practice at all, or they just sort of were ensconced in their little dormitory?
1: I almost never saw them on campus, and I suspect that they were paying the tuition of all the aspiring Eastern yeah, Europeans
0: totally. Totally. Well, so, I, I mean, I think, Ashley, I think you have your next big investigative magazine piece. <laughs> like, the yeah. dark side. Like, I already kind of thought of Bollingeri as, like, kind of a dark place. But this is, like, this is, like, like train spotting going on behind <laughs> this this tennis store. <laughs> Just to get back to Ellison for, like, one minute. Like, do you think this will have, like, a big... um tr- tr- trying to think of how to say it. Like, is he going to get a lot for his money in terms of American tennis being more popular like leaving aside producing like um a beauty rose of like a great american male player like will it will it fill up the suburban courts more
2: i don't know i mean you know the um it's pretty funny so right after my story came out um I got a phone call. I just, I don't know if I could talk about this or not, but like you, you know, there were so apparently there were like a couple efforts underway to sort of revitalize, you know, this the kind of underbelly of the American tournaments and and from what I understand the USTA had some money earmarked for this very purpose and then was kind of pulling that money back. And then when the story came out and they saw that Larry, Larry Ellison was going to do this on his own, apparently this money is now going back into a, a, a sort of pool to to fund some American tournaments. And so, I don't know, you know, maybe just the specter of Larry Ellison being out there and potentially taking more than his fair share of control over American tennis will, wow. will spur some investment, you know? And, and we'll cool. see. I mean, that would be cool, right? So the... Uh, And then, I mean, I don't know, like, as far as the groundswell on the courts, I mean, it's funny, too. I I appreciate it, it's like so cliched in a lot of ways, the way Larry talks about it. But, you know, he talked about instead of the royal box, he's going to have like this celebrity box at Indian Wells. And uh, (laughs) so that he's like, you know, I mean, Bradley Cooper needs to be able to get to his seat without a a bunch of people asking him (laughs) for an autograph and all this stuff. And, uh, and, It seems kind of cheesy and everything, but, you know, maybe that's maybe this is like the guy who's thinking about this the right way or at least in a different way of sort of, you know, glitzing it up and making it seem sexy. And, and, um, you know, why not? I mean, we we haven't tried a lot of different ideas. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Okay, last question, which is um, did Tommy Haas wear the backwards hat like in his normal life, just walking around off the court?
2: He, he was like in his tennis attire. I remember that for sure. <laughs> he, he, he had a hat on, but I can't remember. I can't, rem- I feel like it was forwards, you know, but it was okay. totally, uh, this was all pretty funny. So you're at Larry Ellison's tennis cabana as you do. And I'm um, sure. like talking to, talking to Mark Hurd, the CEO of Oracle and he's kind of in his like business casual at that point. And, um, and then, like, so the cabana's, like, in the midst of this. I mean, it looks like a tropical resort. And then, you know, out between the purple and pink flowers emerges Tommy Haas. You know, <laughs> and he, he just rolls into the tennis cabana and sits down. I had no idea any of this was going to happen. And uh, they obviously had, like, staged this whole thing for him to just stop by. And, uh, and then he's telling me all about, I mean, Tommy's got, He, I guess he spent so much time in America. I mean, he almost, like, at times has, like, an American accent every now and then and um, you know he's just telling me about how important American tennis is to him and and then he let it slip with this thing about the junior academy so I, I feel like pretty certain that's what's happening next yeah.
0: wait so wait hang on they <laughs> Tommy Haas and I know this isn't like unheard of when someone's doing like a magazine article but like they staged Tommy Haas like appearing like out yeah, of, pretty, out of, like out of an oasis just to see I'm you. pretty sure
2: yeah yeah they were they were like <laughs> there were rumors that I would Talk to Tommy Haas, but the way this was was like, oh, my my good friend Tommy Haas just stopped by, <laughs> have a seat, Tommy Haas, and uh, and so yeah, and then and then and then I interviewed Rafa in the same same. Was room. he but lowered
0: I, down from from a helicopter for you? <laughs> he kept. <laughs> he oh hey, this, I'm
2: here. You know, his agent kept. He was like texting me. I'm trying to remember how this worked, but so L- Rafa like lives on at Larry's house during the the tournament. And I think he, like, practices on those courts. And then so um, he was either hitting or working out at the gym because they kept telling me Rafa's going to be late, he's late, he's late. And then he came in and he was all sweaty, Rafa. I'll tell you guys one other thing, though, because you would appreciate this, and I think your audience would. (laughs) But so, you know, like, in the tennis cabana, there's these lockers and they're, like, floor to ceiling lockers. And I'd taken a shower there, and I was looking for, like, deodorant and sunscreen and all this stuff. So I opened the locker, and there's, like, 35 Babolat rackets stacked <laughs> up. And I knew exactly what they were, and they were Rafa's. And then I went and looked in, and, like, each one was, like, Rafa 127, Rafa 128. And I guess he just leaves them there after he practices.
1: Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> <sighs> ah, he's got, like, a th- the Babolat 3D printer like set up accompanying was, him at every stop on the tour, just so they can was, like make him 10 new frames. It was leave. a lot.
2: It was a lot of rackets. And I was like, I'm pretty sure if I put a couple of these in my bag, nobody would notice, Go unnoticed. Yeah.
1: Well, I read somewhere that, you know how he wears that $500,000 watch? Yeah. I read that he's lost like three. <laughs> Cause Get he just like leaves them in locker rooms. And like one got returned. Cause somebody was like, uh, I don't think I can fence this. Cause they only make like, you know, 10.
2: I mean, these guys, like, for all that stuff, all the money and everything, I mean, you know, unless Federer and Rafa and pretty much, like, a lot of the top guys, unless they're just totally acting, they're so much less pretentious in person than, like, other professional athletes. I mean, it is weird that it, I mean, it seems true to me.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that's what's wrong with tennis. They're way too well adjusted. Maybe we need more, maybe instead of, like, cultivating young players, we need to cultivate Crazy parents, and like that's how (laughs) to shake this up.
2: (laughs) I feel like Australia is doing some hard work, too. Yeah, right, (laughs) right. Australia's
1: got it covered, right? (laughs) Totally. Uh,
0: All right, man. Thanks so much. All Um, right.
1: Thank you, guys. Thanks, Ashton. Um, That's it for this edition of the main draw. Thank you for listening. And if you don't already subscribe, subscribe in all the places iTunes, ACAST, your various podcatchers. We don't care. Just listen.